0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in an age of individualism. Our society trains us to put ourselves first. It teaches that life is all about me and fulfilling my needs and desires. People are focused on getting ahead in their career, on making money so that they can live comfortably, on doing what pleases them. Their focus on themselves is manifest in different ways. Some choose never to make a commitment to a marriage partner. They feel that's much too restrictive. Some who are married choose not to have children because they feel children are expensive and it's bothersome to raise them. You think that the world has become a better place since the rise of individualism? Most would not agree. Individualism has left many feeling alienated. You might have a great career and a really satisfying job, but if you're all alone, with whom do you share the joy of your achievement? You can be really successful and make a whole lot of money, but do you really think that money can buy you happiness? Today, our society is filled with all kinds of people who experience deep loneliness. They don't really have anyone with whom to share their life. Researchers have studied veterans returning home from war in Afghanistan who've had trouble readjusting to life in America. Many face depression, substance abuse, even thoughts of suicide. Often, when questioned, they express a desire to return to war. Do you know why? It's not because they fervently believe in the purpose behind this war. What they deeply missed was belonging to their platoon. Being alone, being isolated, is what gets to them. A few weeks ago, I read an article by Jonathan from titled How the Sexual Revolution Has Left Young People Empty and Longing for Genuine Love. Inity speaks about a series of shockingly candid interviews with students on spring break in Florida. These young men and women began by speaking of the freedom, the parties, the casual sex they experienced. But then, one by one, they admitted that our hookup culture has left them feeling cynical, bitter, and empty. One young woman explains that what she really wants is for someone to care about her. But she believes that those kind of relationships are no longer possible. Many such young people feel utterly alone. They feel like they don't belong. Yet, beloved, everyone needs to belong. God created the human heart for fellowship, We all have an internal desire to fit in, to be part of something outside of ourselves. This afternoon, we begin to deal with the Heidelberg Catechism once more. Lord's Day 1 provides a beautiful summary of our faith, of all that follows. And the central focus of this Lord's Day is on belonging. Catechism asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is... That I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible's message is that our ultimate comfort is that we belong. We belong to Jesus Christ. This afternoon we're going to unpack what that means. I preach you the good news of the gospel under the following theme. As a Christian, my comfort is that I belong to the Lord. We'll consider our status, our comfort, and our calling. Already in the Old Covenant, the Lord made it clear to His people that they belonged to Him. We see this when the Lord delivered His people from Egypt. Although they did not really know the God of their fathers, the Lord knew them. When they came to Mount Sinai, the Lord commanded Moses to tell his people that he was reestablishing the covenant with them. He said, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Of all the peoples living on the earth, God claimed the people of Israel as his own people. The Lord communicated this message to his people at different times and in different ways. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, he says, I have set you apart from all the peoples, that you should be mine. Ezekiel 16 gives us a picture of the Lord's love for his faithless bride. In this passage, the Lord speaks about his commitment to his people. He says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God and you became mine. What the Old Testament makes clear is that the Lord set his love on his people Israel. He claimed them as his very own. They belonged to him. The result of that was that the covenant community could sing of how they belonged to the Lord. At the beginning of this service, we praised God with the words of Psalm 100. We sang, Know that the Lord is God alone, he made us, and we are his own. The sheep that he to pasture leads, and as their shepherd, guards and feeds. Before the sermon, we sang from Psalm 60. We sang of how God made his people see times of extreme adversity. Yet God in his love grants liberation to his people. And God explains why. He shouts forth, gilead is mine manasseh is mine ephraim is my helmet judah is my scepter the reason that he comes to the defense of his people is simple it's because they belong to him we see this really clearly in our bible reading from isaiah 43 god's covenant people judah were faced with a situation where jerusalem would be destroyed The temple would be burned up and they'd be taken off into exile. Death, destruction, and ruin faced them. They'd be confronted with big questions about who they were and why God hadn't saved them from the hands of their enemies. Isaiah makes it clear that these things were the result of their stubborn disobedience, of their willful rejection of the Lord and his ways. And yet Isaiah was allowed to proclaim a message of comfort and of hope. Although the Lord led his people on a very difficult journey, he did not give up on them. As David says in Psalm 30, verse 5, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. As much as so we can learn from the comfort that the Lord provided his people through Isaiah, he gives us the confidence to walk with him, even through the deepest valleys that we face in this often sinful and broken world. The beginning of Isaiah 43, Isaiah speaks about who God is. He does so to help us remember our status before God. Isaiah says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Isaiah speaks about the Lord being the creator of Jacob, of him being the one who formed Israel. Isaiah stresses God's creative work to show forth his almighty power. God's not only the creator of this whole universe, he also established his people Israel, He brought them into existence. In the midst of their captivity, Isaiah's message to God's people was, Fear not. Well, that's easy to say, but that's hard to put into practice. In the face of death and destruction and ruin, who would not fear? With the coming of foreign armies to conquer and ravish them, why would Judah not be afraid? The Lord gives the answer. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. God is a redeemer of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He would also deliver them from Babylonian captivity. The Lord was not going to let his people be destroyed. He'll save them, he'll restore them. By his mighty hand, he would deliver his people from their distress. So why would God do that for this stubborn and rebellious people? The Lord explains why. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Here we see God's grace to his often disobedient people. God is reaffirming that he is Israel's covenant God. The covenant is about the relationship God has established with his people. At the heart of the covenant is the expression, I am your God. You are my people. In Isaiah 43, the Lord confirms this truth. He reaffirms that his people belong to him. He says, you are mine. Just as Israel belonged to the Lord, so we as New Testament Christians belong to Jesus Christ. For just as the Lord established his covenant with Abraham and his offspring in the Old Covenant, he does the same with believers and their children in the New Covenant. Just think about how God uses the same terms by which he expressed his claim over Israel to address the New Testament church. Peter tells his readers who have been scattered throughout Asia Minor due to persecution about God's claim over them. He writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He uses the same terms God used to address Israel, and he applies them to the church of Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, you are the chosen people of God. From all those living in society around us, God has chosen you as his own people. You are his treasured possession. You know what that means? If you're treasured, that means that God values you. If you're God's possession, it means that you belong to him. Hear me clearly. You belong to him how incredible is that god claimed you as his own he made you his own possession you belong to him how is that possible you ask how can the almighty the infinite the eternal god set his love on me Why would he bother to do that if he looks at who I really am and the many ways in which I've rebelled against him? Well, beloved, it's certainly not because we deserve any attention from God. It's not because we're so good or such special people that we merit anything from him. It's grace. God grants us the righteousness of Christ and thereby he claims us as his own possession. To understand this, we need to see what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our catechism summarizes his work by saying that Christ has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. How is that Christ has redeemed us? How has he set us free from sin and Satan? Well, the answer lies... In the cross. Jesus came into this world to offer up his body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. Thereby paid the price to redeem us from our sins. Do you know what it means to redeem or ransom someone? People living in New Testament times understood that far better than we do today. They lived in a world where slavery was part of everyday life. In the first century, about a third of the population was made up of slaves. Most people became slaves because they ended up in financial trouble. They had to sell themselves to pay off their debt. The problem was that as a slave, you lost all your privileges as a Roman citizen. In the eyes of the government, you were not a person anymore. You became a piece of property. If you had a kind master, you might still live a decent life. Many slaves were abused and mistreated. Did slaves have any way out of their slavery? Yes. But only if a relative or a friend was willing to redeem them. Roman law made provision for this. If you had a rich relative who heard of your dire circumstances and who wanted to help, he could buy you back from your master. Your master would be willing to do this, for he could make a profit off of it. And so, by agreeing to pay a certain sum of money, you could be set free from your slavery. The Bible makes it clear that Christ has ransomed us from the debt incurred by our sins. Thereby has set us free also from the mastery of Satan. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 makes it clear that by his death Christ destroyed him who had the power over death, that is, the devil and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery. Please understand what happened when Christ redeemed us, beloved. He paid the price to set us free from the debt that our sins incurred. And by doing so, Christ bought us. He made us his own possession. We belong to him. This involves a fundamental change in our identity, our status. Paul says in Colossians Colossians 1 that you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We who were sinners have been made God's holy people. We who were not God's people have been claimed as his own precious possession. The point, beloved, should be clear. God in Christ has claimed us as his own. He gives us a new identity. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, Our identity is not found in our appearance, education, career, possessions, or in any of the outward things of life. You'll never find lasting joy or fulfillment in these things. Our life is found in belonging to God and to his Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, or 17, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Sharing in Christ changes everything. Belonging to him helps us establish a core identity. This brings us to our second point, and we will consider our comfort. There's great comfort and security in belonging to the Lord. In the world today, there are many who feel all alone. They don't really have anyone in their corner, anyone who loves them, anyone who truly cares. That's different for us as Christians. We belong to the Lord. We may be sure of the fact that He loves us and He will care for us. Our catechism expresses this in a beautiful way. Since we belong to the Lord, he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Note that the catechism refers to God as my heavenly Father. That's a relational term. Speaks about the bond there is between God our Father and us, his children. All who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are adopted by God. We are his dearly loved sons and daughters. That's what our reading from Galatians 3 and 4 makes clear. Paul speaks of how when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under law, that we might receive... Adoption as sons. You know what that means? It means that God has brought you into his family. You, beloved, are sons and daughters of the living God. Through Christ's redeeming work, God has become our father. And since we are his dearly loved children, he will care for us. There's times when we struggle with this. We don't always feel super close to God. Because of our sins, at times, we feel unworthy. There's times when we feel like God could never love a wretch like me. Due to the brokenness of life, there's times when it seems like God is far removed from us. My life is broken. I don't feel like it could ever be put together again. God's love sounds nice. But it's surely not a reality in my life. There's different things that can bring about such feelings in our lives. Those who deal with ongoing sickness, are faced with chronic pain, can begin to doubt the goodness of God. Those faced with financial pressures, snowed under by debt, can feel hard done by. They see others around them prospering and their situation only seems to get worse. In such circumstances, it's hard to see that God truly loves me. At times we have to deal with ongoing stress, or with anxiety, or with depression. These struggles to cope can overwhelm us. And so it can be really hard to know God as a loving and as a caring Father. We're going to be faced with difficulties in our relationships, We may not feel loved or supported by our spouse. There can be friction in our relationship with a parent or a child or other family member. We may face ongoing conflict in relationships with others at work or in church life. Now, the love of these things can affect us mightily. God created us as relational beings. If we are cut off from the love and support and care of those around us, it can make it really hard for us to accept God loves us. And the Bible makes clear our Savior's love and care for all who belong to Him. Jesus uses some examples to make that clear. He speaks about how our Heavenly Father provides food for the birds of the air, and how He clothes the flowers of the field. And Christ makes the point that we're much more valuable to Him than birds or flowers. Our catechism drives the point home by referring to how without the Father's will, not a hair can fall from my head. It refers to Romans 8, 28, reminding us, all things must work together for my salvation. What comfort this gives us. No matter what trials or struggles we face on this earth, Christ treasures us as his own precious possession. You see, beloved, the hardships and the adversities of life are not meant to knock us down. The opposite is true. God intends them to help us forward, to help us learn to find comfort in Christ alone. We all know how true this is, beloved. We may not like to admit it because trials are painful. But it's through them that we grow in our faith and our dependence on the Lord. Often when life goes really well for us, we wander from Christ. We seek satisfaction in the things that this world has to offer. Yet when adversity strikes, when troubles come, we learn again to find Comfort and joy in Christ alone. This brings us to our final point, and it will consider our calling. Our salvation is not just something that Christ does for us, it's also something that Christ does in us. It's true, Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins and reconcile us to the Father. But that's not the whole story. He also goes to work in us by his Holy Spirit, causing us to be born again, renewing us in his image. In Christ, we are a new creation. In this way, Christ sets a new direction for our lives. He calls us to no longer walk in the ways of sin and death, but instead to walk in newness of life. Our catechism describes our calling in this way. It says that by his Holy Spirit, Christ assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. As God's children, we've received many blessings. Our reading from Galatians 3 and 4 highlighted this. Paul spoke about how we've been adopted as God's sons and daughters. When you're adopted, you become part of the family. You share in the blessings that children receive from their parents. One of those blessings is that you get to share in the inheritance. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Galatians four verse seven says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you know what the inheritance was that the Lord promised Abraham. He not only promised to make him into a great nation, but he also promised him the land of Canaan as his own inheritance. When the writer of Hebrews reflects on this, he notes that Abraham and his offspring did not receive the things promised. They recognized that they were pilgrims on this earth. and They were looking forward to a better homeland, that is, a heavenly one. The same applies to us. So easy, beloved, to, to get caught up in the here and the now, to put our focus on this life, everything we can get out of it. What we need to understand is that we, too, are pilgrims. There's more to life than what we see with our physical eyes, to what we experience in daily life. In Philippians 3, Paul reminds us, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3 urges us, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Beloved, if we understand the tremendous blessing of belonging to Christ, of being adopted as a child of God, and sharing the promised inheritance, how then shall we live? Do you understand the wonderful blessings of being redeemed by Christ and renewed by His Spirit? Are you thankful that in His grace God has redeemed you from living a futile and empty life? Our calling is to respond to God's grace with thankfulness and joy. It is to be heartily willing from now on to live for Christ. That's a wonderful calling, beloved. A blessed life. Remember how we began this sermon speaking about the loneliness and the emptiness that so many around us experience in our lives? They're all striving for happiness, wanting to belong. But apart from Christ, you cannot find lasting happiness through peace and joy and contentment come from knowing the riches of the gospel. They come from knowing that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If you make Christ your treasure, you will be supremely blessed. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from him 24 but our only comfort in life and death